Hi there, welcome to No Relation College Football. This is episode number two. I'm your co-host Steve Payson. And I'm Trey Payson. Today we're going to get into, first off, we're going to talk about our teams and how our teams did this year, or not this year, this week. Then we'll move on to the uh, individual games we watched, and uh, we both have some pretty good comments on how uh, Cincinnati and UCF went. Then we'll go into uh, our topic of the week, and the topic of the week is the Heisman Trophy and how we feel a winner should be selected and what our criteria are and, and the such. From there, we'll go on to what we're going to look forward to in the next week. So today, if you are a new listener, um, my team is Boise State. I'm a late alum. I started school there when I was 49, graduated when I was 52. So that's kind of odd. And I'm an athletic trainer and after a career in the Air Force, I went into that. So Boise State, I've been a season ticket holder for Oh, going on 25 years now. So this week they played Hawaii, went over to the islands for a late night game, which would have been a five o'clock kickoff in Hawaii. It was a nine o'clock kickoff here. Um, So I had a late night. So the first quarter went pretty well. It was much like last season's regular season game with Hawaii. Um, Defense ruled. It was a 6-3 at the end of the first quarter, but then Boise State made the adjustments, uh, ended up with a 19-3 lead at halftime, and then it was the Avery Williams show. Probably the best special teamer, definitely the best special teamer in the Mountain West, and probably getting along pretty high in the uh, national side of things. Uh, Last week, against Colorado State he had two blocked kicks one return for a touchdown this week he goes up and has over 180 return yards including a 99 yard kickoff return that was pretty sweet it was a fake throwback across the field and the typical Red Sea opened wide and he was gone uh, that's his eighth career kick return for a touchdown. From there, Boise State built a 40-17 to 17 lead. And one criticism we've all had of Brian Harson is he went into safe mode. And that hurt. The final score ended up being 40-32. So a dominant performance by Boise State. It just didn't show on the scoreboard because of that safe mode that Brian Harson goes into and they looked actually pretty good today. So what do you have today this week, Trey? Uh, well, I actually tagged along for the, for the Hawaii ride out there in Aloha stadium. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I saw a lot of explosive fireworks, but like you say, Harson went into his shell and covered up and it almost cost him. Hawaii put a lot of points in that fourth quarter. They put a lot of points up on the board to a staggering degree. Minutes upon minutes go by and points stacked up quick. And they are one one or two plays away from going into OT. So a uh, big shout out to the, to the Rainbow Warriors. But 
for putting up a fight, but Boise State hangs on for uh, what shouldn't have been such a nail biter. And uh, watching watching that young man on special teams, it kind of reminds me of shades of Devin Hester and some of the great returners from the NFL. Watching watching them just make a difference in the game and yep, uh, I can see that and be the X factor, as it were. For me, uh, I'm an Auburn man through and through. Uh, have been since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. So yesterday, uh, the Tennessee Vols come to town, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the orange. Maybe it's just the misplaced optimism of the Tennessee Vols that just irks me to no end. But they come to Jordan-Hare yesterday to square off with Auburn. And first quarter, they jump out to a 10-0 lead. And my first thought is, Oh no, here we go again. They, they've been on the shelf for 21 days. They have looked similar to this in their other loss to South Carolina, which it was ranked Tigers team that shouldn't have lost. And here it goes all over again. But there was still hope. I'm watching the defensive line and I'm watching – uh, the pass rush on uh, Justin Garitano, quarterback for Tennessee, watching the watching the rush on him, and they are just getting after it. They are they're popping him. They're getting sacks. They are they are just harassing him. So that was cause for optimism. Second quarter starts, and uh, Bo Nix has Anthony Schwartz for a 57 yard pass touchdown, and that changed the opinion. It's like okay. Now they're woken up. Now they're ready to go. And from there on out, that that puts them on a 27-point run. After that, it didn't really – wasn't even close. And just a, just a little side, sidebar on Anthony Schwartz, fastest dude in college football. And I, I'll say it, I've seen a lot of fast dudes. They ain't that fast. That boy can run. So – UT uh, Tennessee struggles continued in the second half through the through the last four games. They have been outscored one hundred four to seventeen in the second half. Do you think that's going to add up to wins? Because I sure don't. I can't but, see it. But Auburn's D looked really good. Uh, Smoke Monday had a hundred and one yard pick. <clears throat> they had four sacks on the defensive side. Uh, cause for concern again <laughs> seems to be a continuing trend, right? So uh, Auburn's uh, starting tailback tanks Tank Bigsby go out. He's a freshman. He has looked absolutely great, and he has put up some really nice games. Uh, he goes out in the first half with uh, about a it looked like a hit pointer. He got slammed down, and uh, that's why coaches tell you to wear hip pads, I suppose. But uh, Sean Shivers and DJ Williams picked up the slack very nicely, combining for around 150 yards for the game. And the biggest thing, and I guess it's unavoidable at, the, at this juncture and in this particular season, is uh, there was a, seemed like there was a lot of rust, especially for the offense that relies on timing and that sort of thing coming out. Uh, they had uh, they had a bye week, then they had the COVID game pushback, and that put them on a 21 game break. And it's, I think it's hard to get your groove back right off the bat. Of course, don't tell that, uh, 
to Nick Saban's crew. They went up and throttled Kentucky, and they were off the same round. That was oof, you want to talk about ugly games. But sixty-six <clears> three or sixty-three three, something along that lines. Sixty-three to three. Kentucky kicked a field goal in the first quarter and didn't score again. <laughs> Horrible. Anyway, well, when, when does Saban might... retire again? No, when when <laughs> Miss Saban will try, retire when Miss Terry tells him to. That that that's when that's when Saban will hang him up. Not not until then. <laughs> so, as aforementioned before, we uh, we both took a watch at the Cincinnati UCF game. It was a big. Uh, it was supposed to be a big offense versus offense matchup. Uh, not a whole lot to be said about their defense. And to be honest with you, I had a different opinion watching the watching the first quarter. Um, I saw Absolutely. UCF team. I saw a UCF team with a lot of speed, and they and they were sideline to sideline and getting bodies on bodies, and they looked really good. What did you see? Yeah, that that's how that's how UCF is built. Uh, Scott Frost sitting there in the Florida and all that Florida speed. You know, you you have no winner, so you can train twelve months out of the year. So you have all that speed down in Florida, and he built it. It's kind of like the old TCU teams back in the mid nineties. They're built on speed, and that was about it. And these are the two heavyweights in the American going at it. The last few winners of that league, and that first quarter. I was watching the defensive line for UCF and my God, Cincinnati could do nothing with them. Um, It was that poor quarterback right there. He was trying to get something done and he wasn't. So yeah, that the team speed for UCF in that first quarter, but after that first quarter, we come back from a commercial break going into the second quarter. Cincinnati, somebody flipped the switch. Then UCF could not do anything on that front line. And the rest of the game went you know, a little bit tit for tat. You know, Cincinnati started pulling away. UCF would not go away. And they made proof that they are the most downfield team in college football right now. They, you know, Gabriel will sling it. 20 plus they don't care they'll take those those deep shots and they'll keep going with it well the fun the fun thing about uh dylan gabriel is he's from hawaii he's a left-hander there's a certain player that plays right down the road in hard rock stadium down in miami who is also hawaiian left-handed and can sling it and funny enough they come from the same place and on top of that, there's a certain player that played at Oregon named Marcus Mariota. And it's an interesting tree that they come from. But you're right. He is up over 3,000 yards already uh, in passing for the year. And that is crazy. And Scott, and I feel like it was a nice matchup between coaches, between Luke Fickle and Scott Frost. A very cerebral game because the teams were very evenly matched. And I was really impressed with Desmond Ritter. Uh, he puts in two touchdowns on the ground, two touchdowns to the air. 
throws uh, for 338, adds another uh, 58 yards on the ground. And I think he might be the X factor. And we're going to be talking about Heisman hopefuls later. Don't think he's at that level, but at the same time, he could very well be the MVP of the league. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I have to apologize. When I um, talked about Scott Frost earlier, I was uh, mentioning how he had built UCF, and I probably threw you off a little bit. Um, actually, the current coach of UCF is Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel, uh, the, that's right. Yeah, the old Oklahoma quarterback. Uh, mm-hmm. Boise State goes down to UCF uh, next year, I believe it's 2021, uh, to play in the bounce house. And I am really concerned about that game just because of all those deep shots he takes. Boy, boy can sling it, that's for sure. Um, I tell you, another guy on the Cincinnati side, I was I'm kind of partial to tight ends. That's what I played. So that cons- consequently, that's where my eyes kind of tend to wander in the passing game. But Cincinnati's uh, Josh Wiley. He's a 6'6", 235-pound tight end who can run. I saw him jump over a defender, and he's just got hands that have sticky on them. They're just Velcro hands. But he reminds me of another Cincinnati alum and plays the same position, Travis Kelsey. That's, that's who I see when this kid plays. Okay. I'm not, I'm not um, familiar with Kelsey, but I'll take your word for it. And ladies and gentlemen, I've seen this man who is – in California, but he's actually across the table from me virtually. Um, I've seen him play football. I've seen him carry the football. And no, you do not want to be in front of him. Anyways, the game I tasked myself with watching this weekend was uh, the Ball State-Northern Illinois game. The first thing I want to get at, and I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up, COVID has you know, everybody knows COVID has affected this. So this is Maction, and it's the Wednesday night game, and it's made for TV, period. And, and it, the proof of it is last year I watched a Ball State Maction game. and On purpose. It, yes. Well, <laughs> I was flipping through channels, and, oh, there's a game on. I'm sitting here watching it. Ah, okay. Plus, one of my classmates is – an assistant athletic trainer for ball state. And so I was watching it because we got the connection there and I got onto my text and I texted, I think you guys got more people on the sideline than you do in the stands. Well, this year watching ball state, Northern Illinois, there was more people in the stands this year during COVID than they were last year. Maction is the Max uh, marketing tool they use for these Wednesday night games. Again, like I said, made for TV, and I'll get off of that. But Northern Illinois has always been known for their offensive lines. Um, when they were the or one of the G5 teams, they always had a great offensive line. And it was no different this time around. Uh, Ball State couldn't do anything on the D on, on the D line. Northern Illinois owned that line, but unfortunately, their quarterback 
or the receivers couldn't do anything about it. They had several opportunities. The game was straight tit for tat, back and forth. The one big thing that was a glaring problem was Northern Illinois' clock management at the end of the first half. It was absolutely horrible. Play calls weren't getting in. Quarterback sitting there reading the defense for five or six seconds as the clock ticks down. They get it. They try a field goal, and they miss the field goal. It was just horrible clock management. It did not look good at all. Northern Illinois has some soul-searching to do on that side of things. It, it's, I mean, this is their third game. The third or fourth week back, they came back with the Pac-12. So it's not like it's week 12 for them. It's week three for them. There is some improvement to do, obviously, and they have to do it. Um, Ball State just looked like they were the better prepared team. And they did come back, and they did end up winning it uh, 31-25, I believe it was. It looked like a week three game in week 12. Hmm. So with that, I think we'll move on to our topic of the week, and that is the Heisman and how we individually look at you know, how, how the winner should be picked and who the winner should be. And I'll move with that to just a tiny bit of history. The Heisman was initiated in 1935 to award the greatest player in college football for that year. The NCAA hit divisions and divided up in 1973. So from 1935 to 1973, it was pretty easy. Plus, there weren't that many schools playing football at that time. So it was easy to see, hey, who the best player in college football is. Right now, we have four different divisions, FBS, FCS, Division Two, Division Three. Each one of those divisions, they do have their best player of the year awards. Uh, FCS has the Walter Payton. Uh, Trey can talk about the Division II uh, winner. What I see is it it still leaves a whole bunch of openness on you could have the best player in college football playing at a Division II st- school. The chances of that are very slim, but it could happen. Now. It's also morphed into a quarterback award, which I agree with and I don't agree with um, because the title of the award is the greatest player in college football. And I think the last person to win it defensively was Woodson or was it? No, it was Charles Woodson. It was Woodson. I was thinking on. um, You're talking about Desmond Howard. Yes. Desmond Howard. Was he he was a cornerback, correct? But he won no, it because no, of uh, his return no, ability. He, he he was actually a receiver. Okay, <clears throat> and he and yeah, he did the special teams thing, and and we we touched a little bit on it earlier about special teams being a third third phase of the game that you have to win, and uh, that was that was a big part of his value was able to was able to change field position and uh, add points and 
you know, take some of the load off the scoring off a of off a of Lloyd Carr's squad back in the day. Yeah. So personally, my way of choosing a Heisman winner, I'll, I'll stay away from stats and I don't know how these Heisman voters do it. They have to look at stats because they cannot watch every single game out there. They have to go with stats and go with that. But for me, it's how that individual affects the game, the game that they're in. Do they stand out and above what they do, how they, how they affect their team? Like um, this week, the Cincinnati UCF game, Ritter, the quarterback for Cincinnati, they weren't doing so hot in that first quarter. There, I believe they were down 14-3. He's going up and down that sideline, talking to his D-line, talking to his O-line, talking to anybody who would listen. Hey, we've got to get up. We've got to get going. By the end of the first half, they were up 19-3. Or, excuse me, 19-14. So that's how I look at it. Again, the Heisman voters can't do that. They can't watch every single game and see how these individuals affect the play. Though, what I would do, and if I was a voter, I'd start watching the stats. I'd have to start watching the stats, start listening to the uh, pundits who it's their job. They get paid to watch these games. Then I'd pick out it'd be top five, top six. Then I'd start individually watching those games and seeing how that individual affected the game. So how about you? Well, it's Heisman time. We, the, the season's starting to wind down and then you start looking at postseason awards. And this year it makes it incredibly difficult to do that because the postponements, the cancellations, yada, yada, yada. Um, so for me personally, when I start looking at Heisman winners, Okay. I like quotes. I keep a book of quotes. So when I come across one, I write it down. So first quote as a prerequisite for a Heisman, Al Davis, just win baby. Gotta have a winning team and anything more than maybe a loss you're looking at, you're out. Okay. So that puts guys like Kyle Trask, who is having a dynamite season down in Florida. Um, it puts them in a bind because if their team doesn't do well, they're going to be viewed as wasn't enough. Okay. Even though the numbers tell otherwise. Okay. So that's probably my first criteria is you have to be on a winning team. My next uh, also, and just kind of to dovetail into that, it's also, you were talking about uh, different conferences and not, not conferences, but different levels. Okay. And the division two uh, Heisman trophy equivalent is the Harlan Hill. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough to play against some Harlan Hill winners. Uh, so I got a chance to see, you know, what makes that award prestigious at that level. And let me tell you, there are some good ball players. Okay not taking anything away from division two athletes, IR one, the, the difference between a division one athlete 
and a Division II athlete, or even on down the line, is sometimes very minuscule. It could be they were in a bad system. They could be they were in you know a different situation. Could have been grades, but as a whole, the level is so much higher at a Division One. The standard is higher, to be honest with you. So I think it's it's wins versus quality competition, and that's where Group Five teams have trouble. Okay, because they're going to put up numbers. Is evident if you look at the stats at the stats board right now. You look at your leaders, and uh, in, in Division One right now, none of them are at big schools right now. They just aren't. But it's what you do again in those big games when you go down and you play an Oklahoma, when you go and play a USC, when you go and play an Ohio State or an Alabama or a Florida or you know somebody with brand recognition, and that's a and that's honestly that's a big part of it because if you if you're a Liberty and you go in and knock out a Clemson or a Florida State or in this case Virginia Tech. That's going to draw attention to you. And the more attention you draw to yourself, the more name recognition you start drumming up. Next, it's team survivability. Can your, can your team live without this player? Okay. And we've, we've caught a glimpse of this because all preseason, everybody wanted to talk about Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. Yeah, we know. You're great. Sunshine, hair, flowing big nose, whatever, big arm. He gets, he's out with COVID and I'm going to butcher this name. DJ Ui Ungalele. That sounds right. Absolutely beautiful job on that one. Yes. Okay. So he steps in a little bit of a hiccup. They start rolling right along. Okay. That tells me that it's the X's and O's, not the Jimmy's and Joe's there at Clemson. Okay. So, and I'm Dabo Sweeney's got a building full of studs there in Death Valley. Okay. So the team survivability, if that player goes out, what happens to the team? Do they go to pot or do they not miss a beat? Okay. That says a lot to me about the valuability, the the value of a college football player. Can you stay healthy? Can you get through the season? You can put up numbers week in and week out, but if you're gone, especially during COVID, different rules. If you're out two to three weeks, that kills you because you're out of the spotlight. And finally, on my, on my list of Heisman things, it, you got to have, a defying game. You've got to have that one, that one game where you can cut clips of and show it on the team's board and show it to recruits and have that one game that just really stands out. Um, what comes to mind for me personally, uh, Cam Newton, LSU game. He takes over the game, blows them out, uh, puts it on him and they just he's running over guys he's out running first round draft picks uh, and 
you know, gets to the Auburn, gets Auburn the win. Uh, another guy, Tim Tebow, the Florida State game. He's he's amped up. He's got he's got the crew cut. He's got the John three sixteen on the eye black. He's covered in mud and dirt and paint, and he's fired up. And he's hyping up the crowd. And he's hyping up his team. And they put it on Florida State. That's what I mean. Something that is iconic. Something that is that you will remember about that season and about that player. That's kind of, pose. That's that's it. That's it. So, and it's one of those things where the lights come on, the stars come out. Big players make big plays in big games. So that's what I look for for me personally when I start talking about, is this guy Heisman worthy? Is this guy, you know, worthy to be in the conversation? Is this guy going to make the trip to New York? And that's what I look at. Um, I've actually uh, I've actually got a few guys, uh, but why don't you tell me, you know, who have you seen that, you know, kind of fits your criteria um, as to who can who can get the hardware, who can who can join the fraternity. Who, so, who do you who do you think is on their way? Well, before yesterday, I was looking at you know all the typicals out there. Uh, I was looking at Lawrence. I was looking at Fields, and well, yesterday, Fields does not have one of his greatest games in the world. In fact, he doubled his career total of interceptions. That sounds pretty bad, but it was only three. So now he has six for a career. Um, That didn't look well. He still was able to pull him out into a win against a tough Indiana team. Lawrence, like you said, was out. He didn't get to play yesterday because the two teams could not decide on a COVID protocol between them. So the ACC said, okay, fine. We're not going to play. Uh, <laughs> Both of you go home. <laughs> exactly. So he didn't get to play yesterday. So he's been sitting now for three weeks um, out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately. Um, I look at Wilson at BYU. I believe I have no idea if Wilson goes away, what happens with BYU. BYU's offensive line is dominant right now. That's one key to it. So looking at Wilson, I'd love to say Ritter. Uh, He's picked up his game at Cincinnati. However, he's got some holes in his game. Um, He's been improving. That's not going to happen. Other than that, um, I'm not seeing anybody. This I think this is a um, well. We got Trask at Florida, who is uh, just picking it up pretty good. So right now, I would say Trask is my front runner, believe it or not. Um, and then we'll go Fields to Lawrence to Wilson. Um, I do believe Wilson deserves that invite to New York, though. Uh, the I mean. <laughs> He's really fun to watch, you know. He uh, he's got the he's got the numbers. He, he's at uh, he's just over uh, twenty five hundred yards. He's got twenty two touchdowns versus two picks. My knock on him: can he get the respect? Okay, he's BYU. They they play 
uh, I can't remember who they play next week, but it's it's not a marquee game. All all their marquee games are done. Yeah, well, they don't play. They've got a three week break. Their next game is December twelfth. So, you know, can enough happen, and can enough shakeup occur within the next few weeks where BYU can get in the door? Okay, because right now they're just on the outside looking in. So, and I I agree with you. I think Wilson should get an invite to New York. If nothing else, he'll enjoy the Empire State Building and some Nathan's hot dogs. <laughs> so, uh, we talk about uh, Kyle Trask. I don't know what it is about Dan Mullen's offense, but he's he's the guy. Maybe it's the fact that he's a senior. Maybe the fact it's he's got a tight end who looks like a stretched out wide receiver. But here, um, here's the thing: he hasn't played the last couple of weeks. He's been out, and I be, and I believe uh, this is my assumption. I, he's been out with a concussion protocol. Trask? So, Trask? No, not Trask, but Pitts. Uh, Kyle oh, yeah, Pitts. Yeah. So, take away one of his best players. There's another, here's another category or thing you can look at is you take one of his best players away. Can he still perform at that high level? And Trask has been, I mean, he, he's been, he's thrown for, he's thrown for over 300, uh, 300 yards every game, except one. And to go along with that, he's putting at least three touchdowns on the board every game. And he's, he's only got three interceptions on the year. So that tells me he's putting his team in a, in a place to win and he's not putting undue. He he's making it easier on the defense because he, they're playing out in front. So to me, that, that gives him probably the lead, like you say. Um, and the Texas A&M loss might not be as bad as you think. You know, they dropped that first game uh, against the Aggies. It might not kill their chances because guess what? A&M's a top 10 team now too. So the one thing they have to worry about is they have to get past the big bad boys from Tuscaloosa, and that's how they have to get past Alabama in the SEC championship. And that's if things stay the same. Uh, speaking of Alabama, they have uh, – this kills me – but Alabama has a trio of dudes that could all make the trip. And I'm talking about Mac Jones. I'm talking about Najee Harris. I'm talking about Devontae Smith. Okay. All these, all three of these dudes are all Americans. It's, it's a fact, but Mac Jones being a, like, like you said, it's becoming a quarterback award kind of, but Mac Jones is, he's, He's in that he's in that same discussion with all the other all the other arms. It's I, I would say it's pretty easy to be a quarterback at Alabama considering the talent they've had come through the wide wide receiver position. They have a lot of players and a lot of studs, but let's not knock Najee Harris because the dude is a grinder. The dude is a worker. He probably should have got an invite last year. But right now he's got he's scoring two touchdowns a game as a running back. Okay. In an offense where he's not even playing most of the game. 
And the same thing for the rest of these guys. They're not playing four quarters, having shootouts and this sort of thing. Just like yesterday, these dudes hung them up in the second half and the rest of the five stars on Alabama's off uh, team got a chance to play. So they're putting up pretty good numbers for not playing really four quarters of football. Uh, we said we, you talked about Justin Fields. I think he does have a long road to go and the team actually might let him down being on not necessarily the offense, but I think the defense might actually let him down and might drop a few games, but that dude is flat out good. You talked about him doubling his interceptions for his career. Yeah. I don't, that, that says two things. He's, really good with the football and he doesn't really turn it over. And Indiana is a lot better than people give him credit for. So that, that may actually have given people the blueprint to figuring out the Rubik's cube, which is Justin Fields and the Ohio state Buckeyes. But I don't think Trevor Lawrence is into it right now. I think it's been damn near a month since he's played. And I I touched on it earlier. You've got to stay in the game. You've got to stay out in front of the media, but you know, he's been pumped up and gassed up so much. He's going to, if he has a 350 yard game with four touchdowns and no picks, he'll be right back in the conversation, but I don't think he's going to win. it. And that's, that's the long and short of it. That's the way I see it. If you're listening to this podcast and you disagree, please feel free to drop a comment. Give us something to talk about. We'd be more than happy to take a look at your viewpoint. Absolutely. So, so going into this next week, um, I had a game picked. And then I realized it's all in Alabama week. Nothing else matters. Iron Bowl, <laughs> baby. It is, it is the Iron Bowl. And Auburn doesn't have a shot to make it just because they've dropped two within conference. But you know what we could do? We could just piss off a lot of roll tires and beat Alabama and ruin things for them too. So uh, that happened is, before. Oh, I I know it, and I love it every time. Kick six. <laughs> <laughs> that is Saban. Okay, Saban is I, a great coach. Saban, I, didn't you know, it, I didn't bring it up. You brought it up. <laughs> Saban is a great coach. There's there's no debate about that. Um, from Michigan State to LSU, now to Alabama, his little stop at the NFL Miami, we'll forget we'll, about. Yeah, we'll gloss over that. And but why he decided to kick that, only he knows. Couldn't tell you. Alabama is notorious for less less than stellar kickers. I. I cannot answer that and will not attempt to. Uh, as as for me, um, I'm going to stick with um, – I'm going to take a look at uh, my own conference. I'm going to take a look at, um, on Friday night, Fresno State-San Diego State game. Uh, that's a California rivalry. That's a Mountain West-West rivalry. Uh, should be a pretty good one. But like my good friend across the table – it is time for some annual good old tradition. And on Thanksgiving, unfortunately, it's not on Thanksgiving this year, but it's still on Saturday, and that is the Egg Bowl. Mississippi, Mississippi State. 
I don't care where these teams are at. They could be at the bottom of the pile. They could be at the top of the pile. This game is always fun to watch. And it is a Thanksgiving tradition for me to watch this Egg Bowl. Um, Saturday, I will be entrenched right there on, in front of the TV for that, unless the unannounced Boise State kickoff time, that's going to be the tearaway. Mm. So with that, uh, thank you for listening. I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully it's uh, happier next year with everything that's going on, but let's give thanks this coming week to what we do have and what we have to look forward to. Again, if you like what we're talking about, please rate and comment. We are now on Apple pod or Apple, excuse me, on iTunes podcasts. So please rate, comment, let us know how we're doing. Uh, We're brand new at this. And I think at times it shows, Show us where we can improve. All right. And hey, if you and if you like it, Thanksgiving is a perfect time to I don't know, put on a podcast with two handsome guys talking about football. And if you like what you hear, share it with people you love. They'll love you for it. Absolutely. So again, with that, thank you for listening to No Relation College Football. I'm Steve Payson. I'm Trent Payson. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Talk to you later.